Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we tell you about some strange things that have happened in history. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hi. Ah, yes. You're very tired. We're both very tired. We're both very tired. Yeah, we're operating on very little sleep, so I have some leftover Christmas stash, Mm -hmm. some gin, Mm -hmm. and we're going to try and power through this. I feel like you need to explain what Christmas stash is. I don't think other people have one. Oh, um, (laughs) it's the... It's the store of various treat foods that my family do in the run-up for Christmas. It's mad. <laughs> it's not mad. I've got some Christmas preserve on the table in front of me, some Oreos, some Turkish delights, some <laughs> pistachios. Yep, and a sort a, of... A serene log? Uh, yeah, it's sort of malt loaf. Yep. Anyway, that is what we are going to use to <laughs> try, <laughs> try and power through despite the fact that we both are currently running on about two hours sleep. Yep. For no real reason. Just did not sleep. No, it was just Mm. an odd night. Yeah. Well, let's make things a bit weirder. All right, go on. So, you know how sometimes it can feel like Sometimes you just you just kind of want to get away from stuff in this country, like the government's doing something weird or people are doing something weird, and you just kind of want to go, hang it all, I'm going to start my own country. Well, sometimes. Yes. Occasionally. Yes. For the last two years, consistently. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, but we are going to talk this week about a man who did just that. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, there's a few, like, little mini countries that people have created around and about, aren't there? Like, is it Sealand? Sealand, yes, absolutely. Uh, This story is a little bit different, and it's quite interesting, particularly because of the subject we're going to talk about, the individual. Okay, go on. The individual in question is Lester Hemingway. Okay. Brother of Ernest Hemingway, the author. And son of the famous cheese. <laughs> what? Lester. Oh, I see. Ha <laughs> I make sense. Don't tell me I don't. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. So this is Ernest Hemingway's brother. Yes. Ernest Hemingway's known for being like a really manly man, I think, mm. in, at least as far as literary circles go. Yeah. Like, he went on safari and stuff. Yep. He wrote in really short prose. Yep. Very outdoorsy. Yeah, and to be honest, Lester was quite a lot like him for various reasons. He was also a writer as well. Oh, really? Yes, he was. Um, We'll get into the nature of his writing career later on, but I'm going to take you right the way back to his birth on April 1st, (laughs) 1915. Are you sure he's real? Yes. Are you sure he's not just some kind of prank? Oh, no, he's definitely real. Okay. 100%. Otherwise, what happens later wouldn't have been able to happen. Wait, did you say he was born in 1915? Yes. So he was significantly younger than Ernest Hemingway then? He was 16 years younger than Ernest. Um, He was the youngest of the six Hemingway children. Oh, my God, there were six of them. There were six. It was two brothers and four sisters. Really? Yes. Wow. I know, we don't really hear about this, do we? No. No. I always assumed it was like one of those families where it's like, oh, Ma had all boys and we were always out hunting and 
gotten fish. No, like- so the first uh, child born was uh, one of the sisters. I haven't actually written down her name because... She's Frank- a woman, who cares? Well, I mean, to be honest, it's the Hemingways. You know they're going to be sexist. Sure. Um, <laughs> but also, they're kind of incidental to this plot. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, there was an older sister and then there was Ernest, then three more daughters. Right. And then, finally, there was Lester. So as wow. yeah, 16 years younger than his brother. Okay, fine. And much like his brother, he's known for being a writer, mm-hmm. uh, a traveler, a mm-hmm. general outdoorsman. But not for fighting in World War One. Not for fighting in World War One, no. Which actually, World War One meant that his very early life was quite lonely. I would imagine um, so. Yeah. He was pretty much left alone. The, Hem- the Hemingway house was apparently very big. Okay. And his father, who was a doctor and worked in obstetrics... Right. Um, I've realised I know nothing about Ernest Hemingway. Like, I've got this view of him, which I think is largely formed by watching things like Midnight in Paris. I was going to say it's that, isn't it? And, like, from literally just (laughs) reading his books. Yeah. And I think my view of him was completely off. No, I think your view is completely right. Okay. Um, But there's just more context to it than you might think. I mean, I assumed he grew up in a log cabin in the mountains. So. No, so it seems the um, his parents, or their parents, I should say, you've got two sides of the family. You've got the Hemingways and the Halls. All right. And it basically seems like the Halls were kind of the arty side okay um they made some money being quite sensible um but also had this passionate interest in the arts right and the hemingway side they uh were interested in stuff like outdoorsmanship Mm -hmm. and also uh kind of rigid order to things really yeah okay yeah so the hemingway's household was not great to be honest yeah it sounds like a bit of an odd mix going on there it was an odd mix and also uh lester's parents both of them were pretty awful in their own ways (laughs) okay so i've already said that his father wasn't really around very much and when he was around he was unfortunately quite bullying it seems basically he was an abusive father right and his mother wasn't much better she apparently was a very strict woman who kind of didn't believe in things like leisure and play. Apparently, uh, Lester wrote that to her, vacations were just a word. Wow. Yeah. Okay, this explains some things about um, Ernest Hemingway's work that I've read. Yeah? Like, like, I guess the fact that he seems, from his writing, he tends to describe soldiering or like the times in between soldiering is kind of a good time. Right. You can imagine if you've grown up in this like really strict bullying environment that actually that would be amazing. Like that's your first taste of freedom. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. So obviously early on, Lester didn't have much interaction with his brother because, you know, he was off fighting in the First World War. Yeah. And but, then after that, he like hung about in France for a bit, didn't he? Well, he did. Well, he he came back fairly shortly after the war because he had suffered an injury to his leg. Oh, right. So he came back to recuperate, and that's when Lester kind of met his brother, <laughs> and basically Ernest became his idol. Oh, he do he he absolutely adored his brother, mm. and Ernest. Uh, he he was sort of nice to him he did teach him how to do things like shooting and fishing and you know all that manly outdoorsman stuff that you associate with Hemingway yeah 
But he also, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if this is like playful or that. He did call him Lester de Pesta. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I don't know about that. Like, yeah. Could go either way, really. It could. Like, he would call him the pest, basically. And I guess if you are a 19-year-old Ernest Hemingway just come back from war yeah. and you've got your three-year-old little brother who's kind of following you around all the time, I guess I could see you calling him a pest. But yeah. you'd hope at that stage you'd have grown up a bit and you wouldn't be doing so much, you know sibling teasing i don't know like i could see it going either way it must be it must be a bit annoying if you come back home and suddenly you've got this tiny brother who's following you around yeah and you're used to drinking beer and thinking it tastes good and kissing women and thinking kissing women is nice which is basically my impression (laughs) of ernest hemingway's writing style i mean yeah pretty much yeah (laughs) well as i said lester adored his older brother Um, even though he said that he kind of felt invisible when Ernest was around, Mm. Um, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, Ernest is the older brother by quite a significant margin. He's a war hero. He's a war hero. He's already doing all this stuff and he's able to stand up to their parents more, Mm. which obviously Lester can't since he's very young. Yeah, that's got to be a lot to live up to if your older brother is that much older and also Ernest Hemingway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, after he'd recovered from his leg injury, uh, Ernest went back to Europe, Yeah, uh, as you say, and he jammed around uh, with his first wife. And he, of course, got underway with his writing and he was doing all his Hemingway things. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotta love doing that Hemingway stuff. Yep. Lester obviously missed him, though. Uh, He wrote him letters which Ernest described as basically fan mail. I know. That's really sad, isn't it? I mean, Ernest Hemingway is just sitting there going, one day people are going to misquote me whenever they sit down (laughs) to write a book. And my little brother's just an example of that. I mean, yeah, kind of. Although I think they're going to all think that I said, write drunk, edit (laughs) sober. And everyone's going to say that before they sit down to write drunk and then read their writing and be like, what have I done? (laughs) I think Lester probably wouldn't be misquoting his brother because he was kind of an authority on his brother throughout most of his life. Like his adoration extended to the fact that, you know, he wanted to get things right. Okay. I feel really sorry for Lester. Yeah, I do too. Like, he's got a bad lot in life, and he's also got the worst name. Yeah, it's not great. And it's also, it's spelt like the English city. Great. Not like, you know, Lester. Yeah, I get you. I was trying to think of a famous Lester. Like, um, that president of Canada. Yeah. Which I only know about because of Kate (laughs) Beeson. See, all I could think of was Uncle Fester. I thought about (laughs) saying, I like Uncle Fester, but But with with an an L. L. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, that's not the way to describe that. Mm. My God, that two hours of sleep is not enough. Mm. (laughs) I mean, the problem is that ever since I was a young girl, I have dreamt of marrying somebody called Ernest. (laughs) Oh, don't quote other things at me. My brain's not speaking enough <laughs> to, to, like, pick up and riff on it at the moment. That's fine. In 1926, when Lester was 11, his grandfather unfortunately died. And this seemed to affect his father quite deeply. Okay. 
And the way that this was shown was his father's relationship with Ernest really deteriorated. Oh, crap. Okay. So at this point, Ernest Hemingway had divorced his first wife, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. who was from the Hadley family, which is apparently a very good family. Do you know, I think I've heard of the Hadleys. You probably have. Um, But it's a good name to double barrel with somebody. Yes. Mm. Hadley Hemingway. Hadley Hemingway. I'm sure I've heard of a Hadley Bright, but I don't know if that's from a TV series. Um, that's from Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. There we go. <laughs> that's what that's from. <laughs> Not even a real person. Not even a real person. <laughs> Not even American. Never mind. So uh, Ernest had divorced his wife and his dad said to Lester, you know, your brother has brought shame on this family by divorcing Hadley. Wow. Right? Like... Okay. This is... Guys, this is the... Like, we're in the roaring 20s by now. Everyone's divorcing everyone. Yeah. And I also feel like his dad must know that he kind of worships his older brother. What a way to, like, try and drive a wedge between them. Yeah. Like, you know that You know that guy who you think the world of? You know he's a twat, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's awful. Um, Ernest Hemingway got his own back, though, by basically claiming that his dad's, uh, the hospital where his dad worked, the obstetrics unit, Mm -hmm. basically said it was shit. (laughs) Because uh, his second wife was pregnant at this point, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about where to go to deliver the baby, and he was basically like, your hospital... The ward there's not great, isn't it? Oh, harsh, man. Yeah, basically. So, But also, it sucks to be the second wife in this situation I as know, well. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was ever a possibility that she'd be there to give birth. I'm pretty sure they're in Europe at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not in America. But you just write to your dad being like, by the way, even if I could come back and have my yeah. wife deliver in your obstetrics ward, I wouldn't. Exactly. So by 1928, uh, Clarence, the dad, he his health was actually... Oh my God, actually... what is up with the names in this I family? Know. There's like, it's so traditional Americana. Oh, it I really is. I can hardly stand it. Yeah. Well, Clarence was unfortunately, uh, became quite ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was suffering from diabetes and his health was just deteriorating. And one day he took a lot of personal effects, mm. burned them. Wow. Went upstairs and shot himself. Ooh. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Yes. Unfortunately, because this is a story about the Hemingway family, there are a number of suicides. Yeah. So we won't dwell too heavily on them, but just to let you know, that is not the only mention of suicide in this story. No. And also, going and committing suicide... By shooting yourself in the house is yeah, a right. dick move. It absolutely is. Like, I apologise to people who are victims of suicides, mm-hmm. like, within your family, friend groups, etc. Yeah. But, you know, there are there are ways and ways. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't want to have people cleaning up after you. No, but Clarence seems like he was a bit of a dick. Yeah, it sounds like it. I don't think he respected his wife slash housekeeper slash maid. No, and I think that it's possible that this is why his wife was a bit of a shit to the kids. Mm. I mean, it doesn't it's the sound kicking like... kicking down thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think it is. It doesn't sound like anyone was really happy in that household. No. I'm anyway, getting like a weird uh, Trump family vibe from it these It kind guys. of is, yeah. Especially when uh, Ernest writes to Lester 
and says basically you shouldn't cry about dad mm. because a hemingway doesn't cry oh my god yeah it's like not even because you discovered his body on the floor yeah right and this is the thing with the hemingways and it's the thing that i think a lot of people get really annoyed about uh, with ernest hemingway it's just this whole macho toxic masculinity bullshit stuff yeah and it's clear that it comes from you know further up in the family yeah, because it's it always a place does of trauma. in fact you know what your comparison to the trump family is actually really quite apt i don't know why i think it was because you were talking about their big house and it mm. kind of reminded me of like the big house in um is it mary trump's book yeah 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 but just that whole sort of like kicking downwards and that mm. just becoming this whole series of horrible atmospheres and yeah. making cruel comments about your sibling to you yeah absolutely yeah. uh Ernest wasn't done being cruel though because he basically asked lester to send the gun that his father had used to kill himself with to Ernest so that he could basically display it as a like as a trophy as a sort of trophy, I guess, or like, I don't know, some sort of art piece or something. Oh I don't God. know. But yeah, either way, really quite no. really quite grim and just horrible and just like Ernest, for God's Ernest. sake. Ernest. Yeah. Oh my not, God. not that I think better of you than that, <laughs> but you know, just don't. Especially not to your thirteen year old brother. He was that. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, he was thirteen at this point. Yeah, great. Okay, don't cry and send me the gun so I can show it off. Yeah. Mm, no. Despite this, Lester still adored his older brother. Mm-hmm. He was really interested in everything he would write, and when uh, film adaptations started to be made of Ernest Hemingway's books, uh, Ernest would refuse to see them himself. Right. But he was more than happy for Lester to go along and see them and basically write him letters being like, oh my God, the film on your book is so amazing. You're so (laughs) good. Like, it seems clear to me that Ernest really just liked having him there to stroke his ego. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it would be nice if, if my brother went and saw film versions of my things and told me how good they were. I'd um, enjoy that. Yeah, no, okay, that, that's that's fair enough. Like, I think it's easy to be harsh to Ernest Hemingway because he does do a lot of nonsense. Yeah. But at the same time, like, his books are good, to be fair. They <laughs> are good. And his writing style is, like, interesting and it's simple to read but still complex. And Yeah. yeah. So... I don't know. I'm not sure on this one. Like, okay. I think I think we can forgive him for being like, I'm not going to go see my film, but you can go see my film. Hmm. I guess you might be right, because he did actually encourage Lester in his own dreams. Okay. Because Lester also wanted to be a writer, like his older brother and hero. Mm-hmm. And Ernest really encouraged him in this and actually gave him some really good advice. Okay. Uh, He advised him to become a journalist Mm -hmm. so that he could kind of learn to write beforehand, learn about true stories and sort of find his own voice. Yeah. And also basically said, you know that no matter what you do, people are going to compare you to me. He's not wrong. Yeah. And he's basically like, 
and that's okay. Don't yeah. get discouraged. So you're probably right. There's yeah. a there's a mix of things going on here. I think he's too overwhelmed by kind of victory over the father, yeah. who was presumably awful to him as well. Yeah. To sort of think about Lester as a person at that point. Absolutely. So Lester did indeed become a journalist and he kind of maintained that job for most of his life as well as his various other pursuits. Mm -hmm. Um, But before he could really get underway with his writing, he had to go to Europe. Because World War II broke out. Oh shit! Oh man! Bad timing in terms of having your kids. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Especially your male children. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, he he went off to Europe and mm-hmm. he fought in World War II, as Ernest Hemingway also did. Mm-hmm. And both came back alive. I mean, clearly they were both pretty scarred by the whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, they did survive, so some comfort there, at least, oh, I guess. Good for them. <laughs> yes. Uh, And this led, in 1953, to Lester publishing his first book, The Sound of Trumpets. Okay. Which was basically about his experience in the Second World War. It's like a louder version of The Sound of Music. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The battlefields are alive with the sound of trumpets. (laughs) Absolutely. And as predicted, when it was published, critics said it was derivative of Ernest Hemingway mm-hmm. and a poor imitation. Great. Uh, despite this, Lester wasn't discouraged. I mean, he was prepared for this. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, that's definitely thanks to Ernest. Yeah. So I, I think you're probably right that... I think there's some affection there. There is, there is some affection. He's not just looking for a sycophant. No. <laughs> it's just handy that he also happens to be... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe he wouldn't have liked his brother as much if his brother had been like, I think your writing's crap and I'm going into obstetrics. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you can still appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Lester would go on to write a total of six books, although uh, many of them would go unpublished during his lifetime. Um, But we'll continue on to the next sort of major event in his life, which, can you guess, what happened in 1966... No, there's so many potential things that happened in 1966. Well, after a period of severe ill health, mm-hmm. his brother Ernest took a shotgun. Oh, God. And shot himself in the head. Yeah. I mean, I did know that about Ernest yes, anyway. But you didn't know that was. When I didn't know happened. that was 1966. Yeah. Like, I thought for one wild moment it was going to be like, he became a really key part of the civil rights movement. <laughs> Uh, sorry, we're going to live edit the podcast because Ooh. I wrote this in pencil quite hurriedly and I could not read my own writing. <laughs> this happened in 1961, not okay. 1966, and that is important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Otherwise, none of the rest of this really makes much sense. <laughs> Did you accidentally write a time travel story? I mean, I kind of... It would have been odd for Lester to behave in the way he did okay. if this had happened in 1966 for reasons that you will see shortly. Sure. But going back to 1961... <laughs> yes. And ta- uh, Ernest Hemingway takes his own life. Okay. Uh, did you know that the official coroner's report put it as a death by accident? Really? Yeah. And it was uh, basically put that he had been cleaning the gun or, like, playing around with it and it had accidentally gone off. 
Is that like a kindness on the coroner's part? I like... think it might well have been, but it seems like I think his like his wife was mm. kind of like, yes, it was an accident. Lester was definitely like, no, he committed yeah. suicide. I mean, that's still kind of a practice today as far as I can tell. Like, yes. unless people have legitimately written a note and yeah. gone through all of those procedures, yeah. they tend to go, it was an accident. Yeah. Because that way you get the insurance payouts, yeah. which you might not do otherwise. Well, Lester didn't get an insurance payout, but he did get a windfall in another sense. Okay. So he had been working on a biography of his brother, mm-hmm. but his brother didn't want a biography published while he was alive because he basically saw that as a death sentence. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, you can see where that sort of I, superstitious I, I see that, thing yeah. comes from. <laughs> but also, Lester totally did it. <laughs> oh, no. It wasn't a suicide. No. Poor Lester. <laughs> No. Um, He'd had enough. He was like, (laughs) he looked him dead in the eyes and was like, Hemingway's don't cry. (laughs) Oh my God. Whoa. I mean, I mean, that's, that's some good prose right there, but. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, my books aren't successful because of you. Lester definitely did not do it because I'm pretty sure he wasn't in the same country. Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you know. No, I I think we can definitively say, let's not accuse <laughs> Lester Hemingway of murdering his brother. Okay, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yes, and he did indeed publish this biography mm-hmm. um, entitled My Brother, Ernest Hemingway. Nice, simple title, and it is, you know, considered a very good biographical work. Oh, good. As you probably should be for someone who's so close to him. Yeah, and a writer. Indeed, absolutely. And Lester uh, made $25,000 out of the sale of this book. Not bad, Lester. No, it's not bad, especially for 1960, I think this was 63. Let me just check, unless I'm doing weird. 1959. 1984. No, I'm pretty sure it is 1963. Okay. Now, Lester, he's got this extra money. Uh, After his dad died, he kind of effectively lived off the estate. Sure. So this is a bit of extra money, which means that he can finance a project. Okay. A project of New Atlantis. What? (laughs) Um... (laughs) Um... Yes? What's what's unclear about this? Is he planning to sink a place? No, no, right. no, no. Quite, right. quite the opposite, in fact. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is he planning to hire a bunch of Belgians to... <laughs> to? Um, I'm so curious about where this is going to go. <laughs> to do what? To, to dry... make fine chocolates for him. No, no, to, to build new land. Because that's like, this is a medieval thing. Oh, um, I see. A lot of a lot of the flat parts of England, such as in the east of England where Whee. we live, uh, were drained by Belgians because they knew how to do it. Big ups, Nozza. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. What happened was on July the fourth, nineteen sixty-four. Mm-hmm. He constructed a raft out of bamboo, steel, iron piping, and rock. What? <laughs> Sorry, just I'm trying to imagine this. I know. And I, I just can't. I know. I can't imagine it either, especially with the dimensions <laughs> that it was, because the raft measured eight foot by uh-huh. thirty foot. Okay. 
and it was anchored six miles off of the southwest coast of Jamaica, thanks to an anchor made by a railroad axle and an old Ford engine. <laughs> okay. Yes, do you have a problem with this? Uh, Seems quite sensible let, to me. Um, there's so many problems I've got with it that I can't actually start to articulate what those are. Um, okay, why is the anchor made of an old Ford engine? Let's start with that. I mean, I think it was just what was available. But he had so much money. I mean, yeah, but he had other things that he wanted to do. Oh, sure. Okay, so your your massive weird-ass raft isn't the only thing. <laughs> okay, so what I'm imagining at the moment is, like, something out of Huckleberry Finn. Yes. Because in Huckleberry Finn, you know, he travels down the Mississippi River um, on a raft, but it's not yeah. a raft like I always imagine a no. raft, like a little one. It's quite big, it and is. you could fit tents on it, and a, yeah. and you can set a fire on it without it setting fire to the boat. Yeah, they kind of have like a cabin on it. Yeah, so like I'm imagining that's what he's doing. So like the bottom bit's the bamboo bit, and then like the top is the stone bit, the steel, iron piping, and rock. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm imagining right now. So it's like. It's got houses on it. <laughs> it may well have done, but again, it was eight foot by 30 feet. So it is pretty long, but it's also pretty narrow. Yes, that's true. It's got narrow houses on it. Yeah, could very well have done. Um, I don't know, to be honest. Okay. Uh, part of me suspects it was just a platform. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamaica, you say? Off Jamaica. And uh, there were a few reasons for this. Uh, Lester had a particular interest in fishing and marine life. Nice. and Very he Hemingway. Was, yeah, he was very interested in uh, promoting Jamaican fishing rights, basically because he saw the marine life around Jamaica as being really interesting and worthy of preserving. Okay. This is part of the reason for him doing this, and you'll kind of see why... Kind of not. <laughs> I'm going to admit, I don't know much about the marine life around Jamaica. I'm going to assume it's exotic. I mean, we can only assume so, because frankly, I couldn't be bothered to look into it that much. <laughs> sure. Um, but Turns six... out it's just really good cod fishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that six miles off the coast of Jamaica, at this point in history, was considered international waters. Okay. And that is important because his raft now technically counts as an island, especially once he anchors it. Right. Lester then invokes a law from 1856 called the Guano Islands Act. And this is to claim the island. Okay. The Guano Islands Act was uh, an act in America that basically allowed American citizens to claim uninhabited islands that were usefully full of poop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I had been wondering about the guano here. Yeah. Right. I think because you can use it for explosives and that and... Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. So are they talking about like those islands you go to like in the south, in the south 
in the southern oceans where there's like so many penguins and they're just pooping <laughs> all over the place yeah. like that kind of deal yeah. but with whatever if the, animal if there's a load of bats or if there's a load of seabirds yeah then you get huge amounts of guano amazing and at the time america really wanted it so they put wow. forward this act and then a little over a hundred years later lester hemingway would use this to claim his raft as uh-huh. an island so half of it was technically uh, belonged to the US. Right. And half of it belonged to him. Okay. And he called his half New Atlantis. And it was a micronation. Yeah. Measuring something like 0.00002 kilometers squared. Incredible. So which half did he... So how did he half it? Like, because it's a narrow island, right? I can only assume he halved it. I hope so. But imagine if he halved it so he only had the four meter... (laughs) Four foot. (laughs) Well, yeah, four foot. (laughs) Can't lie down in it sideways. (laughs) I I can only assume he did it the other way around, which might be one of the reasons why it was so long. Yeah, that could make sense. (laughs) But also, I'm just imagining these guano islands, okay? So, like, the thing is, when you're a kid, you always imagine exploration particularly like sea exploration or jungle exploration, it's always like really exciting. It's always like the mummy series of um, films or, you know, whatever's going on with Jungle Cruise, the new film. Um, Yeah, not searching for an island full of seagull poop. No, it's really not. (laughs) (laughs) You imagine that they're going to find treasure or at the very least like exotic spices or something. And then it turns out, nah, it's a poop island. It's covered in bird poop. I mean, they are they, they are finding treasure. It's just smelly treasure. <laughs> Still valuable. Yeah, it's just, I want valuable things to be more exciting. <laughs> well, as a result of this law, he managed to claim this island. Great. And uh, it had, it was a republic. They held elections. <laughs> Amazing. It had a total of six citizens. Oh, it did? Yes, okay, indeed. I thought it was a republic between like one person. No, no, no. There were six. There was Lester, mm-hmm. his wife, right. their two daughters, <laughs> okay. as well as uh, Lester's press agent and uh-huh. the press agent's assistant. It's really awkward when one of his two daughters becomes the first president. <laughs> well, they held an election in 1965 yeah. and Lester was voted in as president. Well, colour me surprised there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? They also had their own currency. Oh, really? Yeah. He wanted later, it is said, to get coins minted. But in the meantime, they used basically trash. Yeah. Uh, so things like discarded fish hooks, carabines that they'd found floating around, shark teeth. Nice. Basically anything they could find bobbing around. And uh, he called it, he called the currency the scruple. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's nice. Because in order to be rich, you have to have a lot of scruples. Oh my God. (laughs) Piss off, Lester. Jesus. That's a really rubbish pun. I mean, it is, but at the same time, I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it. Also, I like that this, this seems like an early form of um, like recycling. It's like yeah. you find whatever bobbing around, you use it as currency. Kind of, yeah. In the future, it'll be entirely the crushed Foster's cans that keep getting dumped <laughs> on our road. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so as I said, he was 
he wasn't just doing this as a vanity project. Or that wasn't the entire reason. Okay. He was also doing it to try and basically raise money to create a new aquarium in Jamaica in order to help preserve the marine life. Okay. So what he planned to do was he planned to encourage tourism, sell commemorative coins, and also uh, develop his own postage stamps. Cute. He had uh, five different types of postage stamp made, and he uh, included on the most expensive one a picture of Lyndon B. Johnson, who was the US president at the time. Okay. Oh, I should point out as well that... Lester basically, he wrote a constitution for his nation. Mm -hmm. But what he did was took the United States Constitution and basically just crossed out United States of America and put in New Atlantis. I love it. Yeah. That's great. Um, Sorry, I just, we haven't talked enough about the fact this is called New Atlantis. Oh, yeah. This is because uh, he was actually basing this on a book by Francis Bacon. Oh, really? Which is about New Atlantis. Okay. Which is about this island nation. Right. So oh, okay. not necessarily going with the whole classical Atlantis. So it's not like as grandiose as I was imagining. No. Where he's like, this is where all the smartest people no. are going to live. And when the island eventually sinks, we will bring knowledge to humanity. No, I think he was just like, I like this book. I'm going to name my country after it. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Pretty much. So it's basically... It's basically like somebody founding a school and naming it Hogwarts. Yeah, basically. Sure, okay. Um, So like I said, he tried to raise money with these postage stamps, but unfortunately the US Postal Service basically said, we're not accepting these. You can't just make your own stamps and tell us to (laughs) use them. Fair point. And this was kind of an argument that went back and forth because the thing was that Lester had written to Lyndon B. Johnson Mm -hmm. and had put stamps, his stamps on the envelope. Right. And had got a letter back in which he was referred to as the acting president of New Atlantis. So he basically. What a sport, Lyndon B. Johnson. I know, right? But he took this to basically be like, I've been been officially recognised, therefore you have to use my postage stamps. I see that. And the postal service went, no. no. <laughs> and he was like, but Lyndon B. Johnson says it's fine. So the Postal Service went to Lyndon B. Johnson and was like, is this fine? And he went, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't mess with the Postal Service. Like, you can be recognised as a country, but you can't mess with the US Postal Service. They Absolutely. are serious people. Absolutely. And not even the fact that New Atlantis had its own flag helped. Oh, Lester's wife... <laughs> Lester's wife, who I believe was called Doris... Cute. She uh, designed and sewed the flag. Of course she did. It's a blue flag. It's got a sort of bronzy triangle upside down uh-huh. with a blue circle in the center. Well, that strikes me as mighty Illuminati looking. I mean, it's kind of reverse Illuminati because <laughs> they pyramids upside down. Yeah, but you know whoever looks at this with a conspiratorial eye mm. would be like, Illuminati. The Illuminati killed Hemingway. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> doesn't make sense (laughs) well he had some more plans even though you know his postage stamp plan wasn't working he had some more plans he decided to claim the sea floor underneath new atlantis 
Okay. Uh, so he basically 50 feet below uh-huh. was the seafloor. And he was like, I'm claiming that. I'm going to put down a load of rocks and basically create an artificial island so we don't have to have this old Ford engine anchor anymore. Sure. And... Can you do that? I don't know, but he certainly <laughs> wanted to. Okay. Unfortunately, this plan never came to fruition because the next year, 1966, there was a terrible tropical storm. Mm, as, New- as there is in Jamaica, I've heard. And New Atlantis was destroyed. Oh, no. <laughs> the wreck of it was salvaged by some Jamaican fishermen who I believe sold it on to various dealers and scrap merchants in the area. Nice. So... <laughs> Lester, unfortunately, did not manage to achieve his dream of his island and tourism and the uh, aquarium on Jamaica. Sure. And sadly, as his life went on, he too began to suffer from ill health. Um, He had to have surgery to have artificial arteries implanted into his legs. Ooh. Yeah. And then was basically told that they were going to have to be amputated. Oh, damn. I'd be so angry at that point. Yeah. And so in 1982, after a fit of depression, he shot himself. Yeah. Yeah, this is a family that... Someone really needs... I know. Like, are there any Hemingways still around? I don't know. And are they okay? I don't know, but really someone should check on them. Yes. And I know this is kind of, you know, a a bummer note to end on, really. Yeah. Because it is tragic and, you know, I don't want to make light of it as an act because you know it is awful Mm. but the thing is i think this was pretty cool not the suicide the um, his life yeah the island is cool i mean it's pretty impressive that you take some pretty traumatic events in your life and go you know how i'm gonna deal with this i'm gonna create a micro nation I'm going to have a constitution. We're going to have elections. I'm going to design my own postage stamp. My wife's going to do a flag. It's just <laughs> I love a shame. that his wife made a flag. Yeah. And it's just a shame that... It, it didn't work out it because it was in, like, Jamaican waters. Yeah. 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 Good for marine life. Not so good for rafts held together mm. with not much, I don't think. Do you know I was part of a micronation for a while? Really? Yes. How so? The University of East Anglia declared its independence from Britain um, for a solid six hours once while I was part of the student council. Okay. It didn't manage to get fully towards it because the thing was that they had to submit this idea and the fact that we'd confirmed that we all wanted to be part of a separate nation uh, to the finance department um, (laughs) who swiftly decided that we did not have enough money to have a you know standing military and so the whole thing was quashed but never mind (laughs) fair enough well I should point out that Though Lester definitely recognised New Atlantis as his own little micronation, mm-hmm. it was never formally recognised as a micronation. The, the president said it was. I know, I know. But it's still, I think it's because he based it on this guano law yeah. thing, Guano Island Act. Like, does um, that allow you to have a long-term standing over that island? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> but basically everyone just went, no, you can't do this. And he was basically like, what are you going to do? I'm in Jamaica. Yeah. 
Fair enough. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on Spotify, please could you give us a five-star review to show how wonderful we are and hopefully boost our listenership. That would be amazing. Boost. And as always, thank you to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and found your micronations. Bye!